What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, and with me this week is... Allie Deitchman. That's right, and this week we're going to be talking about theater of the mind and battle mats. And, you know, what you can do with those. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to be answering some listener questions at the end, which you can write into at difficultyclass at gmail.com. I'm just going to get that in here now to just soak it into your brain. Uh, <laughs> but that stuff's coming later. First up, Allie, how are your games this week? Oh, they were uh, quite exciting. Oh, yeah? <laughs> they yes. seem, they're, they're, they're always quite exciting. Yeah. Um, on Wednesday, we did the the finale part one <laughs> of Storm King's Thunder. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. They made it to the final battleground, and essentially the whole thing is two separate battle arenas. And, and without saying what it is, but you, you made a really awesome mini, well, mini Ooh, yeah, quotations you, for that. Uh, straight up, if you wanted to see her, uh, just go on my Twitter and check her out. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I really if you're okay like with how, spoilers, yeah, ch- check that out because it's beautiful. She came out so nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so they pretty much handled the first battlefield and then I left them on a huge cliffhanger and they're like, what? And then it was a neat cliffhanger because it wasn't just for them. It was for me, too, because I didn't know what was going to happen <laughs> until an hour and a half after the fight. Or I'm like, oh, that's what happened. That, okay, now I know where they're going. Well, that that kind of ties into last week's episode where uh, I did not know what was going to happen with one of my cliffhangers. And it changed the entire <laughs> course of the campaign. Yeah. So, you know, that was very exciting. Yeah. Um, Sunday actually is what kind of led me into this topic here because uh, we played Tomb of Annihilation. And we were doing this huge kind of area. It's uh, just the name of it is Nangalore. And Mm -hmm. if you guys ever DM'd for it or ran it or played it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe Mm -hmm. Eh, there's a chance. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you went along with the actual plot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there it's kind of complicated the way it's kind of set up. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of little small areas when there's a lot of big areas and then. The book itself doesn't necessarily give a lot of leeway. And so I attempted for the first time in a while um, to do pretty much all the combats in Theater of the Mind. Oh, wow. It it made me realize that I'm not the best at it and I need to work at it. Okay. Um, but okay. I'll talk about it more when, yeah. we, when we get into it. Well, that, that's funny because like, I, I always thought that like I was going to be the one that brings this one up because you're the one that does battle mats and I'm the one that does theater <laughs> of the mind. It's going to be kind of like our verses, but I I think this is good. It's going to be more of a conversation. Yeah. Um, but what about you? How was yours? Oh, oh, God. It was a little while ago. Things and stuff have happened since then. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, if if uh, you, you don't follow me on Twitter, I got laid off last week. So, woo. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that uh, things are fine. I'm going to get to do more D&D stuff and uh, possibly some more new and exciting things yeah, with th- the there podcast. Are, there's a plan. There's a plan. Yeah. Um, but uh, before that happened... Um, the uh the not storm king's thunder storm king's thunder game uh (laughs) we picked back up with that uh we took a little bit of a break uh, i think it was like two weeks Mm -hmm. uh and we picked up with and this is not spoilers because we are off on our own now uh they walked up to a farm that was built and owned by two previous player characters oh my god who are were at the table as their new characters 
and it was on fire surrounded by <gasps> zombies and Valindra Shadow Mantle had one of their old characters by the throat. That is not good because I know what's on that farm too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, he's not. He ran away. Oh, okay. uh, we got to go find him. Oh, that's um, a different story entirely. <laughs> yeah, so they had, uh, we did, oh, sorry, hit the mic. Uh, we did, uh, God, I think it was about two and a half hours of combat. Wow. Which is a lot for, for fifth edition. Yeah, it is. And that's because... I had a lot of stuff going during it. I mean, um, I had one player shift to the astral plane. Uh, <laughs> I had another one get uh, banished by Valindra. Um, a zombie dinosaur of sorts <laughs> came out at one point. Uh, oh my God, it, it, I love it. It was a lot of moving pieces. And what was really great was... So I, I, I'd said this a long time ago on Dungeon Driver. I love giving my players magic stuff. Yeah. And since we started this level six, I'm like, I'm giving you magic stuff. One of my players got the Horn of Valhalla, I think it's called. <gasps> yeah. But it's like, it's not the top tier one. I think it's like the like the second level. Okay. Up. And so they're surrounded by zombies and a dinosaur and all that. And he goes, uh, I'm going to blow the horn. <gasps> so he rolled and got, I think, 11 astral berserkers that is so cool that then joined them uh the rogue got cat uh, got fly cast on him by one of the old players bards mm -hmm. he took off into the air came down landed on the the dinosaur <laughs> it, it was it was one hell of an of a session and i i loved every minute of it sounds really good yeah <laughs> And uh, and and I I think I think that's all I had. Yeah, and uh, now we're gonna pick up with that some other time this week. Nice. Yes, but uh, that other time is not now. Mm -hmm. Now it's time for the news, which we still don't have a cool name for, and it sounds like I'm just doing a segue <laughs> into CNN. All right, so we got some news for you. Uh, so in fact, one of them we didn't know until we sat down at the table. Yeah. Uh, but the first bit of news is called Hellbound. Uh, this is going to be put on, uh, it's presented by IGN. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be on IGN's YouTube channel, and I think Wizards as well. Um, and it's going to be some people from IGN running through uh, Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus, but ran by Kate Welch. Yeah, there's three people from IGN. There's Kate Welch, and then there's the artist of the cover of Descent into Avernus Oh, too. very cool. Yeah, so there's four players and Kate Welch. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, um, I... I'm already jealous of people that work at IGN, and now I'm jealous of them more because they get to play in a game DM'd by freaking Kate Welsh. I know. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, the first episode went up, I think, yesterday, it was which was yesterday at Monday. One. So, Technically, yes. Monday. Yeah, so, um, so it's up right now, and uh, I believe they're going up every week, mm -hmm. and I believe they're going to be going all the way up into the release, which is September 17th. Yeah, um, it's... I recommend going to watch it. It's only like an hour long. It's really short and it's that perfect amount of time where it's like, okay, you can just watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually a really good intro into kind of the theme that well, the book it, will have. It, it is it is the perfect size. Like that I critical role is great and all that stuff, but like Man, I sometimes I cannot dedicate three hours to one episode. Four, usually. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, stuff like this and, uh, like, when they did the Acquisitions Incorporated, the show, not C-Team, but they did it a while ago before. As, actually, uh, Prelude to Storm King's Thunder. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was the perfect bite size for me, and so I cannot wait to sit down and watch this because, one, I cannot wait for Descent into Avernus. I know, I'm excited. Two, I love IGN. Mm -hmm. And three, I love Kayla. She's yeah. the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next bit of news is titled, We're Fucked. Yep. 
I mean, true facts. Um, <laughs> yeah, not the podcast. Podcast is fine. We're going to keep going. Uh, but Allie and I are screwed uh, because Funko Pop has announced Dungeons and Dragons pop oh, figures. Lord help us. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I love pop figures. Yeah. My wife and I had a problem. We've gotten better. We've you gotten have. really good. Really good. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, uh, now we are kind of SOL because there are Dungeons and Dragons pops. My God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we're going to have Asmodeus, a Mind Flayer. <laughs> and the one that I'm just going to buy and always have with me is Minskin Boo. Yes. But in true Funko Pop fashion, there is currently no release date. Oh. Yeah, it just says coming soon. They have pictures of the Pops themselves. They have Boo sitting on Minskin. <gasps> I'm so excited. Ooh. Yep, so I'm going to buy these and anything else they ever put out uh, because I am a whore. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the D&D Twitter account tweeted out about both of these things. Um, I'm going to go ahead and retweet them right now uh, from the difficulty class uh, account and uh, you guys can go take a look at those and see what you think but mm-hmm. I'm very excited for both of them so first topic number one theater of the mind yes so this uh, this topic was your idea to to come up with um, yeah. so uh, what, what why don't you uh, take it away so theater of the mind is both just an amazing thing but also for me personally at least can be a difficult thing. Well, why don't we? Uh, why don't we give? Because some listeners might not know what we're talking about yeah. here. Uh, what, what what is theater of the mind? So theater of the mind is a different way to play D anD. d A lot of people know the classic, like you lay out a battle mat and then you put your miniatures on there and then you draw out the battle and you draw out the scene and you move your miniatures through, almost like chess um, or you know other board games. Um, but theater of the mind removes literally all of that. Uh, theater of the mind is a way that is, I mean, the wording itself of what it's called is kind of self-explanatory. You, you play out everything, the narrative, in the mind. Um, to quote IT Crowd, it's the most powerful processor known to man. <laughs> <laughs> I will be your eyes. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of benefits to doing theater of the mind as opposed to using a, ba- a battle mat. And when you're running these pre-written games like Storm King's Thunder or Tomb of Annihilation, there can be really big areas. And that's just one benefit doing Theater of the Mind is that there is no specific limit on what you can imagine. Um, I mean, after all, this is a narrative game. And so when you're running a battle that's going to take place over like a mile long situation a battle mat is not going to cut it yeah or when you have 12 like warriors fighting along that are npcs and then you have your five pcs and then you have a a dinosaur coming in and then oh don't forget they're on a giant airship and it's crashing and it's like there's a lot of things that can happen that a battle grid will just not be able to do. So that's why a lot of people do like to do theater of the mind. Um, but I will note that it kind of throws out a lot of the specific rulings that D and D likes to throw at you. Like when I talk about specifics, I mean footage, like for some people, they need that visual. 
Um, specifically, a lot of my players need that visual. And so that's why I've been personally having a hard time switching over into Theater of the Mind because a lot of my players, they haven't played D&D without it, without the battle mat. And so when I say like, oh, he's like 20 feet away. And so they have to pause and think like, does that mean I have to move three squares up and then I'm there? Or do I have to move 20 feet up and then I'm there? And so there's like a moment where it almost takes longer than it should. And it's kind of making it redundant because <laughs> mm. it's supposed to cut time technically. Yeah. In its own way. But I mean, in other ways, though, theater of the mind is almost necessary because, I mean, like you're doing your Skype game. They're in completely different areas that you're playing. I mean, I could do things like I've talked about in the past with like uh, Fancy Grounds or Roll20. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for, for us, we do theater of the mind. Yeah. And th- this is kind of like why I wanted to bring it as a topic for today's show, because I wanted to kind of get a feel of how you do it. I mean, like I've literally sat here and pretty much listened to you guys play, mm-hmm. but uh, from a DM standpoint, more so than just someone who's watching. Um, well, uh, so yeah, let me, let me start by saying this, uh, for the listeners, I pretty much exclusively do theater of the mind for the most part. Yeah. Uh, even if I have people at the table, the bookstore game, I completely break that and I do battle mats and stuff because they're people who aren't used to playing with me and uh, a lot of them are kids. So I just, I draw it out. I, mm-hmm. I have little mat stuff there, but, uh, for a lot of my home games, uh, I will do grids for big set piece moments most sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes uh, i mean uh we started off with a grid for the end of strahd but where the battle actually ended up ending there was no grid it was all theater of the mind yeah that's true um now what I, that's taken me a long time to get to because i used to be like no i need i i need that there for myself mm-hmm. um and i don't really know where i started like drifting away from that it right. just kind of started happening where i'm like oh we can just do this encounter real quick and that just kind of started continuing on until i was doing giant battle scenes with <laughs> no uh battle map yeah and there's a one piece that is that I found really important, which is the start of a player's turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a player's turn comes up uh, in combat, because uh, you know we'll we'll talk about outside of combat, but in combat it will be like, uh, all right, Uthal, it's your turn. There's a goblin 15 feet away from you that's directly ahead of you. Meanwhile, behind you, uh, Herc is getting uh, attacked by two other goblins, and they're 15 feet away. Okay. I'm not giving like north, south, east, southeast and stuff like yeah. that. I'm just saying the general direction. Yeah. But I'm telling them the footage. And that is the really important thing because if I tell them this, then it removes a question they need to ask. And I'm because, you know, I, I love players. I'm a player, but um, we forget things <laughs> between turns. Yeah. Especially if it's not on the board. So, yeah, it's a little extra you know ram usage i guess um (laughs) where i'm constantly remembering where everyone is but doing that and describing where they are once again at the beginning of their turn makes it run flawlessly for Mm -hmm. me yeah you still get some questions sometimes where like there's something i didn't describe to like oh well what about this i go oh yeah that's right well that's this far away from you this is happening there and i'll probably like throw in some flavor just to distract them that i forgot to do it yeah (laughs) (laughs) um pro tip (laughs) yeah uh but doing that has helped out 
so much and I've been able to go from just doing a couple quick goblins jump you on the road to finishing climactic scenes with it to I've actually done giant battlefields now with zero board or anything. Yeah. See, that's really enticing because, (laughs) I mean, part of my personal goal as a DM is to shift away from board game kind of feel to more giant action movie, you know? And so it's like having the idea of uh, not pausing the narrative to put out all the grid, Mm -hmm. put out the map and put out the minis. And then on top of that, during each turn, you have to move the minis. You have to pause and wait. And then it's like, whereas if you're they're acting as narrator the entire time that's almost like a cut in an, a movie where it's like oh cut to I, this person and I, this is what's around them i almost kind of think of it like uh in final fantasy um specifically it's final fantasy 10 uh-huh. <laughs> um where you'd have your player your, your character and you do something that you know you'd attack and then the you know somebody else would go, but when it goes to the next character, the camera moves to them and it shows you what is going on there. So I kind of think of it like that, where okay. it's just like it's I need to reset for you, yeah, so you can see what's going on. Even though you've been here through the whole battle, you've seen what everybody else is doing. I'm resetting the camera for you so that you know where you are. And I guess in an odd way, that would also help get the players more engaged. It does because when things are on a mat, it kind of can allow players to be more lax about the battle because mm-hmm. at any point in time they can look up and see it. Yeah. Whereas like theater of the mind, they kind of have to in a weird way, pay attention more. Yeah. I, I, and the other thing I like to do to kind of help that is throw in some flavor, throw in some description. Um, and it allows me to like kind of pull the player back into it mm-hmm. because I could say things uh, like, all right, Uthal, it's your turn. You killed that goblin, but his friend is really pissed off at you and he's got his bow and it's pointed at you now. What yeah. are you going to do? Oh, and that totally lends itself to what we were talking about a few episodes now ago about like encounter pacing too. Yeah. Because uh, that, le- that, that lends to the narrative mm-hmm. of the fight itself, not just of the current arc, but yeah. of the fight, which is, it deserves its own narrative too. It shouldn't yeah. just be a board game. Well, um, the uh, the encounter that I just talked about with, you know, Valindra, giant mm-hmm. zombies and all that stuff, complete theater of the mind. Um, and like the, the dinosaur came out and <laughs> my sister's character was the closest one to it. And it came to her turn and I went, uh, all right. Uh, there is a zombie dinosaur about 40 feet away from you and it has its sight set on you. What are you <laughs> going to do? Um, and so like we just ran through it like that and it, it has worked really well. Yeah. So then what would your advice be for someone like me whose players have only ever played on a battle mat for those that are so like just kind of focused on the idea of the grid play Mm -hmm. as opposed to theater of the mind because in a weird way we've talked about this before like the movement during a battle can be kind of stifling especially if like you have your niche and then you find it and you're in it well it's like i imagine theater of the mind almost invites more movement in a weird way because it it provides like a different perspective on Mm -hmm. the fight itself that yes i mean like as a dm you still do have to keep in mind rules for attack for opportunity and stuff like that and i feel like i've done a good job of that and don't worry 
players will call you out on it if you forget. <laughs> I'll be like, all right, she's going to run over there. Uh, do I get an attack of opportunity? Yes, you do, because yeah. I forgot you were there. And yeah. that's the thing. Don't think that you have to have the perfect memory. Mm-hmm. You are going to forget stuff. It's okay. It's just a hiccup. You just It's like a speed bump. You just go over it and keep going. Yeah. It's fine. Um, but f- as far as players that are used to one way and trying to do something new you got to talk to them like i take um uh, our strad group i said very early because we had three people there who were very 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 used to grid play yeah and i told them just as a heads up like i'm i do a lot of theater of the mind now and we're gonna try that you know, I don't, I hope you don't get upset with it. I uh, just, just try and go with it. But I feel like we're going to have a much smoother game doing it like this. And mm-hmm. I'd like to give it a try. Um, and there was some apprehension. I, I get it. Uh, but I, I think that by the end of it, they were all okay with it. Sure. We don't do it in the other game, that, but that's fine because that's the theater of mine is my style. Yeah. And I excel is grid, which is fine and great. He does great grids. I mean, when we get to the, when we get to that topic, I'm going to talk about Ike a lot. Oh yeah. No, I mean, he deserves <laughs> like to be talked about when it comes to grids because that, that is really well done example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, talking to your players about it. And I mean, if they are, very angrily upset against it you know maybe don't do it if it's going to cause problems but you know at least try and get them to try it yeah um something that i've been doing recently is abstract maps to where i kind of have like this mini whiteboard that i keep by me usually i use it for initiative and keeping track of Mm. monsters health and stuff Uh, okay sometimes i'll just erase everything on there and just draw a really rough version of the map oh yeah i've done that and then just be like, this is what I'm talking about. And then just like poke at the map a bunch of times and be like, you are around this area. Mm-hmm. Because to be honest, sometimes I can't describe things very well. <laughs> oh, that's something we should talk about. Um, okay. So, well, first off, that totally fine. Mm-hmm. And I think is a great idea. I've done that several times with sticky notes and held it up to the camera. It's just been like, yeah. you're here, you're there. <laughs> oh, okay. I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, okay. Descriptions. Um, yeah, it does take some level of being able to describe things and that isn't natural to everyone. And I'm not even going to try and sit here and say it was natural to me, Mm -hmm. but you get better at it. It's just like doing anything else. So what you need to do is have in your mind, it's very important that you, you're not just spewing this. You need to have this image in your mind of what this looks like. Yeah. Uh, let's take, um, uh, without going into too much detail, you had a fight in Storm King's Thunder that was in a very big cavern and a very big enemy in one place. Yes. I'm going to be 100% honest. When, when you told me about this, I thought you did theater of the mind because of everything <laughs> that happened in it. Yeah. Um. So, like, you have your idea where that is. So, like, you know in your head automatically what the lighting looks like, mm-hmm. what the walls look like, what the ground looks like. You're building all this stuff without putting too much thought into it. And so you just say it randomly. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's kind of random to give them an idea. Uh, When they first get in there, you you don't need to go with the minute detail of how many pebbles are on the ground in front of them. Right. You just need to give them an idea. It's like, all right, uh, you enter a room that is... 100 feet long and 60 feet wide you can get into the architecture like that um it is um 
it's a dirt floor and stuff like you can go minute detail on or not minute but like vague details and stuff yeah vague details yeah. like that <laughs> or you can you know get novelists and just be like uh red light from magical lanterns that hang upon the rocky stone ceiling illuminate this room casting shadows over all of the minions of the dark that are facing you nice Wow, I just came with that all right yeah, there. That was just a, right then and there. That was nice. I was like, I was like, are you gonna keep talking? Because you, you <laughs> should stop. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, like, see, sometimes I have to do that where I am just word vomiting at yeah. my group, and I go, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> um, so you can't. You can do either one of them. Really, what it comes down to, as long as you've got a good picture in your head, and you've conveyed a quarter of that picture to your players. As long as they got an idea of what's going on. Because the thing is, is that, you know, I just said the red light from the lanterns yeah. casting shadows. You don't need to do that because if you say that there are red lanterns hanging from a rocky ceiling, that's all you need to say. Because it's told them that there's a rock ceiling, there are lanterns, their brains are going to build those shadows in for them. Yeah, that's true. Um, you're just doing that to like, you know, try and emphasize the darkness of this room and stuff. <laughs> like you don't need to get into that much detail about it. Um, and then you, the other thing is, is that especially with theater of the mind, it's good to throw those things in during turns. Yeah. Uh, where yeah. like if somebody runs away, it's just like uh, he spins on his heel and kicks up some dirt as he runs off the opposite direction of you telling them that there is dirt on the ground again and reminding them of that and so just doing small little details like that is kind of nice for theater of the mind because it i personally the reason i like it is a battle grid even tiles or anything i don't feel like is gonna pull them in as much as like imagining that dirt that rock yeah. and all of that stuff uh which is why i enjoy doing it um but yeah, I kind of feel like I was rambling there. <laughs> no, no, it, it worked out because it leads into my next like kind of question for you mm -hmm. is um, technical details versus narrative details. Like saying how often, like when you are describing a scene, like you say, you you enter the cavern and it's mm -hmm. 100 feet by 60 feet, right? Mm -hmm. um, at what point do you just pretty much narrow it down to just technical details where you're like, Oh, this person is 15 feet away from you. It's a 15 foot high ledge. Oh, um, on their turn. I, I, I probably, I probably should, uh, mention that. So like, um, I would say the, like I said, there's minions of the darkness mm -hmm. being shadowed by this red light. That's all you need to say. Uh, because they've seen the good guys. The good guys have seen them. Yeah. It doesn't matter about distance because no one's having a surprise round. So you're going to roll initiative. And then after you've rolled initiative and wrote it down, it's like, all right, so these guys are 60 feet away from you all. Yeah. Um, is anyone is anyone closer to them? No, you're all 60 feet away from every bad guy. Yeah. You can just be as simple as that. And yeah. um, or like what you could say there, because that kind of sounds like they're all in lines, like, you know, in the Revolutionary War. You should be like the closest three are 60 feet away. Yeah. And then you don't need to worry about where everyone else placement is because I guarantee you they're either going to focus on whoever's in front or whoever's in back. And as long as you know the distances in your head of that, mm -hmm. that's fine. You don't need to place them out on a grid in your mind. Okay. So that right there is really big help for me because I've been wondering about that because it's kind of been bogging myself down trying to describe the technical aspects mm -hmm. of the fight 
in the middle of me describing the area mm-hmm. and so like my and then that ends up kind of almost oddly not oddly i'm mean, understandably confusing my players because then well, that, things shift in the middle of it <laughs> that's why you want to be quick about it yeah um like i don't know why this one always stands in my head but on, on the, in the adventure series they got into a room that had three goblins in it mm-hmm. and i was like there's one goblin that's in front of you guys who is laughing at the other two who are working one of them uh is working on a dam the other one is in the water i'm not telling them distances but i'm giving them a relative view of the room itself so they could almost build the scene in their minds yeah um and then when it came back to them i was like okay the one that's laughing at them is 20 feet away from me i don't remember the numbers don't 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 (laughs) at me um but like from there is when i do that so i mentioned i said who the three were in there but if there was like six Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna say where all six of them are right i um there's another room in lost minds in that cave where there is like six goblins and uh a bad guy um well i guess they're all bad but um (laughs) uh when i did that with uh my ex-coworker group oh uh, (laughs) (laughs) um we we played that room theater of the mind and all i said was uh there is two levels to this room uh you guys are coming in towards the one that is on the lower area and there's some stone steps going up to a larger uh uh, level that's about 15 feet off from this one uh there is this witch looking goblin that has a uh prisoner and below on the level you guys are on there are six goblins who are all praying to her and bowing up and down right i didn't tell them how far away they were I just said there's six goblins. Yeah. That way you're not bogging it down with there's uh, two goblins 15 feet away, two goblins 20 feet away, two goblins 25 feet away. Because that will bog it down. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then you're throwing a bunch of numbers at them that not all of them need to worry about. The fighter needs to worry about the ones that are 15 feet away. The ranger needs to worry about the one that's up top. So you don't need to worry about the distances Mm -hmm. in that moment until it's their turn. So the six plus goblins kind of leads me to my last question about Mm -hmm. all this is how to handle a lot of creatures that the dm has to handle in theater of the mind like because for me personally like i know you mentioned processing power like mm. ram <laughs> um because like when i tried to do it with that final battle in storm king's mm-hmm. thunder for example i had like five uh large <laughs> npcs that were helping the pcs and then i had um there's 30 bad guys in that first va- battle just not spoiler necessarily because mm. that could change yeah um and then on top of that, there's like also just other things that can happen because it's a layer. And so it's like, there is so much to keep track of. So this one kind of breaks your immersion, mm-hmm. but I found it, it helps. Um, I So let's take that room with the six goblins. I described that there were six goblins yeah. in there. When the fighter went, all right, I want to run up and I want to run up into those goblins. Uh, I know he can only get one hit off. Yeah. So, uh, cause he's level three. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool. I didn't bother saying feet. I knew he could do it. Um, and I knew that there was one close enough to do it. So he runs up and he hits it. So when it came to my turn, I had six goblins to deal with. Yes. Cause, cause he missed. <laughs> um, so what I do is I just clump them all into a ball in my head <laughs> and I quickly list off 
Okay, who's gonna fight him? Okay, two of them should fight him. Okay, what do the other two do? Or what, what do the other ones do? Okay, well, the row got up with her, so two of them should go try and help them. And then uh, the other two are gonna shoot the other guy with crossbows. So I've now split them up in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm not worrying about footage or anything. So I'm like, I that one, I don't even have to move them. I yeah. just, I, all I have to do is move one and say, all right, one is gonna come help the one that you're fighting. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna roll two attacks against you. I roll those. Two more are going to run up the stairs uh, towards Summer. Okay, uh, they can't get all the way up to you, but they've got their short swords ready. Right. Uh, the last two, they're going to take out uh, short bows, and they're going to shoot at Jeff. Uh, and then I would roll those. And okay. that would be how I handled it. Okay. Um, with last week's uh, game on Skype, I told them they had 20 zombies. Yeah. <laughs> I lost track. Yeah. I did not keep up with it, especially when I ended up having... Three players, 11 spirits, yeah, <laughs> two non-playable but PC characters. Um, and so what I did was in all the chaos, I, I just decided, all right, four of them are going to go attack Alex's character. Yeah. Um, two of them are going to go attack uh, Christy's character. And mm-hmm. so like I just would pull some away because in the chaos of it all, in all of this fight, I'm not worrying about what the berserkers are doing because this is where I'm glad I don't do tokens for it because I'd have to token every one of those. You'd have to figure those, out uh, where they physically guys. go. And instead, I just got to go, there is an absolute war going on around you as these ghosts are fighting yeah. zombies. And that's all I need to say. And then I could eventually do things like um, Herc wanted, or not Herc, uh, Alex wanted uh, Ghost to run at the dinosaur. And so, like, I rolled to see how many of them are going to do it. Then when it was the enemy turn, I had the ones that I picked out attack the players that were kind of, like, tagged by them. Like, uh-huh. I just kind of picture it, like, kind of in a computer where you're just tagging a word yeah. to, to their character. Uh, then I would roll... Um, for how many zombies got killed that turn and how many ghosts got killed that turn. Yeah, that's the kicker. That one, I just kind of did on the fly. I didn't really have like a homebrew for that or yeah. way of doing it. I just was like, this is a cool way to do it and also keep the theme thematic vision going. And and to keep it moving too. Yes, because that was the big like, thing. If you go with three plus turns and no one's died yeah. yet, it's like, uh... <laughs> well, oh, uh... <laughs> Uh, when uh, when a rogue tries to sneak attack Valindra Shadow Mantle, <laughs> he almost did. <laughs> he almost did. Oh, I love boy. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that that that's what I do with big groups. Yeah. So okay, that's very helpful for me personally, and I know what I'm how I'm gonna handle uh, my Wednesday group better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I I hope that goes well. I hope you and some of the listeners uh, got something out of that. Um, any, any other questions pop in your mind? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. Well, uh, if you listening have any questions that are popping in your mind over this, or you're just screaming at your iPhone, going, "Trevor, you're doing everything wrong. Why are you doing this? <laughs> you're app. You're ah. Uh, send those into difficultyclass at gmail dot com, and we'll we'll have a discussion about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, but uh, right now we're gonna move into DM's Guild Spotlight, and Allie, I think uh, I think you're taking away on this one. Yeah, so our spotlight of this week is Hammond's Harvesting Handbook. It's a guide to harvesting and crafting in D&D 5th edition. It's by Drifter's Game Workshop. And it is, I'll just tell you right now, it's really dang cool. Um, Pretty much, like, it, it aims to act as a reference for DMs that can find themselves 
with players that like to loot every single monster they take down. Um, this book, well, I call it a book because it is literally like 170 pages. It's really big. Um, it provides a loot table for every single unique monster in the fifth edition monster manual. And they're an easy reference and they contain every piece of information your players could need when they take apart the, their mm -hmm. kill, right? Um, also, each table kind of provides what you can craft with that item that they loot from the monster. So like if they take a basilisk scale, they could actually craft like something that makes it resistant to petrification. That, that kind of cool thing. That's really cool. And so it's like the tables each come with their own, like if you pick up a thing, it tells you, it describes it in detail. And then it tells you how much it weighs. And then it tells you how much that part is worth. And then it tells you what you can craft out of it. Oh. So it comes with not just loot tables. It also comes with new crafting rules and like over a hundred crafting items too that you can do. Oh, sorry. 200 unique craftable items to be made from your harvesting adventures. So if you find yourself either with a alchemist or you find that all those uh, kits that are you have in the player's handbook just really aren't enough, because let's be honest, even in Xanathar's Guide, it's not enough. Um, and you find yourself to be kind of like in that mode like if you have a lot of players that are like oh i want to be a monster hunter and i want to make armor out of this stuff it's like oh yeah no you totally should be able to with the hammond's handbook it's it's an easy way to go about it i feel like i need to get this because of my skype because <laughs> they they just they just take everything off yeah. they, like literally that that, I mean, that fight uh one of my players went, i'm taking the tooth from the dinosaur yeah and um, that was like literally the first session I ever did with my Wednesday group. He took a tooth off of a, <laughs> off oh, of a Draco lich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had to make it up myself at on the fly, which was not easy, but it happened. But this would have made things a lot easier because Draco lich is in there and it does have things that you can loot off of it. But um, do you have how much it is on there? Yes. So I've got the page up here. Uh, so the the uh, group that does it is Drifters Game Workshop. Uh, but this one is specifically written by Jeffrey Yang. Uh, it is nine ninety nine, which I think is pretty good. Especially how many pages did you say it was one hundred and seventy? Yeah, it's like a lot. There's just That's in the table of contents. Looking at it right now, it says page one forty five, and there's like a lot under that. So good God. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, it's nine ninety nine. Um, it, it, the full title is Hammond's Harvesting Handbook, colon, A Complete Guide to Harvesting and Crafting in D&D 5E. Um, you can also go find them on Twitter. They are at Drifter Workshop. And, uh, you can, you know, send them, tell them that we sent you. Uh, they got a link to their, uh, their DMs Guild page mm -hmm. on there. This sounds fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I might need to yeah, look into Yeah, I got this. it during the sale. And do you... You mentioned that there's a volume two now, and I'm mm -hmm. really tempted to just buy into that too. Um, yeah, uh, actually, let me go click on that real quick because you said that one was uh, all everything in the monster manual. Monster manual. So I have a feeling that this is like yeah. Volo's guide and like Mordekainen's maybe. Yeah, I think so. Oh yeah, there we go. Uh, this volume covers the monsters included in Volo's guide to monsters, and as before, features a complete harvesting list for each monster as well as over 80 new magical items that to is craft. So cool. That is fantastic. <laughs> uh, these people are doing good work uh, mm -hmm. uh i guess you know we'll do two uh spotlights this week volume two is 7.99 uh so go check those out those look really good they got some good artwork mm -hmm. uh all right topic two is battle mats oh yes <laughs> um 
it's been a long i mean like i use them but it's been a while since like i, I went all out on them uh but you you do battle mats a lot i do um mostly because i do minis a lot yeah <laughs> i'll it, admit well here's here's the thing i'm gonna be honest like i love theater of mine i love me some good minis i know i love <laughs> me some good minis i mean you did just buy that walking Shh. statue didn't you yeah you it's did. in the den yeah <laughs> Um, but so you, you've said that the reason that you like doing them is for placement so that everybody can see what's going on. Yeah. Um, it makes things really easy when it comes mm-hmm. to a large amount of things that are going on yeah. or when there are a lot of obstacles, yeah. like say there you're in a forest and it's a highly forested area or you're in a desert and there's a ton of rocks around or crumbling ruins or you're in a dungeon and there's like you're in a burning library and the library is a literal maze Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've literally had that happen and the players go through it describing it is so difficult when i could just have fog of war sheets of paper over Mm -hmm. the mat and reveal it as they move forward it kind of allows them to get an understanding of like okay this is a puzzle almost more so than like a narrative that you, you bring up a good thing there of uh, uh, drawing out the maps ahead of time, doing the fog oh, of war. Yes. So that's what I suck at. <laughs> <laughs> um, I because like most of the time with my stuff, I'm going through so many encounters that I need to draw a race, draw a race, draw a race. Yeah. Which was another reason why I started going through the mine because I got tired of doing that. Yeah. But yeah, when I do like the big set piece modes, the first time you guys saw Strahd in person in in the game, I drew out that map ahead of time and i think i kind of surprised you guys because i threw that out and you're like there's a mat yeah it was it was surprising (laughs) um and i think doing stuff like that ahead of time is probably the best way to handle it yeah and like i alluded to in the previous topic our gm ike he does uh battle mats all the time and Mm -hmm. you weren't there for this one but when we did a uh, a homebrew that's uh someone online made called Jacob's Tower. Oh, okay. That was our first campaign. I remember you guys telling us about that. Yeah. yeah. Um and most of those levels because every level of the tower is a level of, of the dungeon but also of the character. Yeah. Um and there was a lot of them. he drew out the entire map ahead of time. And sometimes those levels took us, you know, a couple sessions. Yeah. And so, like, we, <laughs> I remember specifically one of the last levels of it, we went through a dungeon and it took us three sessions and it had been drawn out the whole time and covered up by paper. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he did a great job of drawing those out to and to the point where I rarely had to ask, what is this? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite ones was actually like it, we were in the corpse of a dead god, Ooh. and so like it, like he did like all these lines that were like gooey intestines and uh, stuff like that. It was really cool. Neat. Um, and you know, I looked at him just like this is fantastic. I do not have the patience for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, back in the day, I used to use the dungeon tiles. Who boy? Yeah, and those are cool, but like. 
I kind of restricted myself to them. Yeah, to you, the point you where, end up doing that. To the point where, like, if I didn't have something for a room, I rewrote the room. The room, yeah. And that's why, I like, I love the tiles because they're very detailed. They look cool. They got a lot of neat stuff going mm-hmm. on. But they kind of restrict you. Yeah. And that's when, when I found Battle Mass, I'm like, this is, this is it right here. And now I don't even use them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of a good point like you you brought up ike drawing things and you not even needing to ask what they were um that's a a good tip for when you're trying to draw stuff out ahead of time create a key for yourself Mm -hmm. to where um your players will understand and pick up what these certain things mean um so that way when you put down a mat they automatically know okay that's a door um like for me i use brackets for closed doors with a line through them Mm -hmm. or i use brackets with no line through it and it's an open door that can be closed um and then i have parentheses which means it's an archway there's nothing blocking it and so my players automatically know this and for whenever i introduce a new element as soon as i put down the mat i pause and i say okay let me explain to you a few things of the mat so that way i can you the players can understand what's in front of you Mm -hmm. i probably say that so much (laughs) that's like I probably say that, no, I do. I say that as much as I say roll initiative. Oh my God. Because um, I actually use the D&D adventure mat. Um, it's it's a tile grid, actually. So it's like, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a hard, car- like cardboard in a way, um, surface that it can be folded up mm-hmm. and it's as big as a player's handbook. And it's super nifty because it's like, instead of rolling out this huge battle mat, I can just put down this like 15 by 10 tile. And wouldn't you know it, I only need that much for one Mm -hmm. room. And what's really cool is that dry erase markers work on it. Yeah, this is what I use at the bookstore. Mm -hmm. And ever since I understood that dry erase markers work on it, that's what I've started using in like every session of Tomb of Annihilation. Mm -hmm. Because there's really no need to specify like every single thing especially until we get into the dungeon part of tomb of annihilation yeah <laughs> uh, so to speak um i don't necessarily need to preemptively go in and draw everything so like having that really easily erasable mat quote mat is really helpful yeah but basically yeah, if you set up a key for yourself so that way that your players can understand what things are and used colored markers. Ooh, that makes a difference. Oh, yeah. See, that that's that's what Ike would do. Mm-hmm. Um, I specifically remember there was one where there was a wind force field that was stopping us. And, like, he had blue going there <laughs> for, like, the spinning yeah. air. Like, um, when I get home, I'll, I'll send you a picture of the Nangalore map that I drew out because... I used all the markers and it's, I just want to show you it. I might even Mm -hmm. tweet it because it was, I was quite proud of that one. I even converted (laughs) it because my mat itself was too small for it to be drawn to scale. So I actually had to draw one square equals 10 feet. Oh, okay. Which is how we kind of ended up going into theater of the mind because you couldn't necessarily play on it like a regular battle mat. Yeah. It was more so just to show the players less of an abstract mat. And more so of an actual map. I, I just remembered uh, when I originally bought Curse of Strahd and I looked through Ravenloft. I, that's when I was using battle mats. I was mm-hmm. just like, how am I supposed to draw any of this out? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it can be like super tough, especially looking at like pre-written campaigns yeah. too. 
and really just try to take well, it one room at a time. Well, that was the crazy thing. Like back in fifth edition, or sorry, back in fifth, back in fourth edition. Mm-hmm. I can't talk today. <laughs> Why am I on a podcast? Um, back in fourth edition, like um, I have a book called Dungeon Delve, mm-hmm. where it's a one adventure for every level, and all of the maps are constricted to the tiles. Oh wow! Which was cool because if you had the tile packs, you could just make it, it and and go from there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, now it's just they do you know they just draw a map. They they don't think about how you're going to do it or anything like that. Yeah. Like I I almost kind of feel like fifth edition is actually written for theater of the mind. I mean, uh, when we talked about the essentials kit, I brought this up about how nowhere in there do they even mention playing on a map. Yeah. Um, they even include tips for how to do theater of the mind in that in the essentials kit too. And I think that's really neat because, like, if you look at the player's handbook, if you look at the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's way they, – they give you well, examples it, of how to play on a map yeah. when it comes to, like, spell casting and cones well, and line of sight and, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but – so the thing with the, 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 the battle mats – the thing that I you know cannot rep- you know recreate with theater of the mind are minis. Yes. And there the the thing that I found this is even true with me is that I do love having a mini of my character even if we're not doing mats. Yeah. And so that's why like I will still always do some uh, battle mats, and that's something that I kind of want to stress at this point is. This isn't one or the other. Like, you don't oh, yeah, have no. to only do theater of the mind. Yeah, I get called the theater of the mind guy because I do a majority <laughs> of it like that. But I, I do love using battle mats, but not all the time because I don't feel like every combat needs it. Yeah. Um, there's several times where um, I've had a player like, well, can we get this on a mat? And I'm like, we don't really need it. Yeah. Um, and... You, we we've done a few like that where I've just been like let's we're not gonna do a battle map because I don't think we need it for this one we're we can just do this real quick yeah um but you know for certain times and places I do like having a mini like the first one of the first things I did for Curse Straw was I bought a strawed mini you painted it, it looked amazing <laughs> and I because I knew at some point or another I was gonna have that mini on the table and you guys were gonna fight it yeah. I didn't know when, and, and that's the kind of thing, like, I don't plan out when I'm going to do Theater of the Mind. Um, It's just kind of like in the ne- between sessions, I'm like, oh, I kind of feel like I should do a battle map for this one. And so that's usually where I'll, like, either pre-draw it out or know I'm going to draw it out. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, dude, it's not, it's not one or the other. Like, you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, we're only doing Theater of the Mind. Because some people not just only like having the visual, they like having stuff on the table to mm-hmm. like, you know, move things around with. Yeah. My favorite thing with using minis is to show scale. Yeah. Because if you have a little mini and he's barely bigger than an inch tall and then you bust out something that's like the size of a water bottle. Well, like the the walking statue of Waterdeep. And then you put the little mini right next to it and you say, you see this as mm-hmm. it's walking over you. It's like that really puts into easy perspective the imagination of it. Like you could use your words, which does help and work yeah. most of the time. But when it comes to just showing your players a, a drop fast, mm-hmm. just this is it. 
Well, that's in, in that situation, thing. you can kind of do a little bit of both. Like if I put out that walking statue of Waterdeep and I've specifically set it over a, a player, like you already have the scale and I would just add in like as this thing walks over you, bits of stone are just raining yeah. down on top of you. Uh, like, you know, heavy rain and stuff like that where you can add a little bit of it, of both in there. Yeah. Because like minis are cool and all, but they, yeah, they get the scale, but they don't quite get that, that. I don't know that, that flavor that I was talking about earlier with it, where it's mm-hmm. just if you do both of it though, it 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 can be super fun. Yeah, because like something that I love doing, like every time I begin to describe a monster, I I use the the technical words like oh it's huge, it's large, it's giant, you know. Oh. And but then they don't quite grasp that immediately mm-hmm. until I say this giant towers over you. It's the size of a three story building, and then they go oh. Mm-hmm. And then when I put the mini right next to them, they're like, oh, and then it kind of puts things in perspective of how much danger they're in or yeah. how much of an ally they've gained. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really appreciate about using grid is that you can put things a, a new perspective for them quite literally because also it helps them realize like, oh, I'm going to dance in between the legs and stuff. Well, well, not only that, the other cool thing it can do is, you know, you know, like I, I said in the last topic of like describing the area around them. Yeah. But you're not describing every chair, every table, every nook and cranny. So if you have that drawn out on there, it also lets your players like look at their environment and go, can I flip over that table and hide behind it? Yeah. I literally, um, Ben gave me this really cool set of flat uh, plastic minis to where it's like it's got a campfire it has doors it has chandeliers mm-hmm. it has candelabras it's got all the cool things yeah. on there and when i have the time i just set them up in a room like especially if they're going through kind of like a haunted area some something similar to like curse of Strahd kind of feel mm-hmm. i put them i put it all out like they went through a wizard's tower once in my wednesday game and I used everything and there was even this huge painting that I just I plopped it down they're like ooh what does that mean <laughs> and it meant nothing at all but they were intrigued by it yeah um that that actually brings me to my next thing definitely don't just put down minis of stuff that is only important put down minis of things that don't mean anything mm-hmm. have a mini of a gargoyle on this on the mat it's not a gargoyle. It's literally just a statue. Mm-hmm. But the players don't know that. Yeah. And it makes them almost weary because that <laughs> meta knowledge will seep in no matter how much they try. I did a really mean one one time in a free game where I had an owl bear on the mat, <laughs> but it was stuffed. Oh. And they were freaking out the whole time that it was going to come to life and kill them. And I was like, I just put that there to. Just no, it's just there. <laughs> um, I do. I do really. I, I want to talk really quickly because you know we're, we're getting up on that hour. Um, I want to talk really quickly about going overboard on uh, on stuff on the table, and that's specifically something I own, which is Dwarven Forge tiles. Yeah, before you know it, you will spend the price of a low end car on tiles. <sighs> Like, I love these things, but if I hadn't gotten in on the ground floor of their first Kickstarter, never would have been able to afford them. Yeah. Um, But doing stuff like this, I can sit there and describe all freaking day what a dungeon looks like. You can draw the line on stuff, but if you go over the top and you build a giant dungeon on the table... Mm -hmm. 
your players are going to lose their freaking minds. Yeah. And that is going to be an event that they do not forget. Yeah. It, it has this intense factor of immersion that you yeah. really can't get from anything else. It, it's it's a, it's a level of immersion I can't quite describe because, like, you know, the closest thing I can think of, like, setting on a table, like, like a model train set. I was with, like, literally the, going to say. Yeah, like with, the, <laughs> like, with the hills and the towns mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But you don't sit there and, like, know who that little person is and what their backstory is. It's just, oh, look, there's a nice lady that the train drives by. I don't, yeah. I don't know what's going on with trains. Um, but uh, this sort of thing is just, it's giant it's massive and it's immersive mm-hmm. and you know especially if your whole party's got fully painted minis oh and God. stuff like that like it is crazy cool i mean yeah. and I, I know like critical role has done some sometimes where like matt mercer's built these awesome sets like i remember watching one where like there was a snowy landscape and there's trees and everything like oh, that oh yeah and he build stuff is on his own too like that's one of his personal hobbies I swear to god that man man has a time turner <laughs> just way too much um and i'm not sitting here saying like if you don't do this you're not a good dm no like again this is cost prohibitive by far yeah that's and the- also time consuming yeah so it's one of those things where it's like if you can cool oh the, another one uh joe manganello i saw his yes. post where it was his game and they're all dwarven forge and stuff like that and they're crazy <laughs> um the time actually you mentioned that and that that wanted me to bring up something that i found recently um this uh there was this survey done in 2016 and it was i'll, I'll link to it it's by mike shea the sly flourish mm-hmm. follow him on twitter he's great um <laughs> We're pretty much at, figured out 49% of DMs, uh, and it was like 6,000 people answered the survey too, mm-hmm. so it was a lot, um, spend between 30 minutes to an hour designing combat encounters per session. And I mean like specifically getting the minis set, finding the minis right, uh, drawing out the map, uh, putting things on a piece of paper. Like mm-hmm. this all takes time. Yeah. And if, well, and, and with the minis and stuff and money. Yeah. And um, definitely the money part. Yeah. Because each small mini alone, if you're going through Reapers, is like around four to five bucks. Yeah. And if you go even bigger than that, it can go up to like twelve bucks, fifteen bucks, twenty well, bucks. And if you're and, you're looking for pre-painted and stuff, God only knows. Ugh. Yeah. And so doing grid is really cool, but all in all, there's no right or wrong specific way to do D and D. If your group is having fun, you're doing D and D right, and that's what's important. Is that if you're having fun, then you're doing it right? Yeah. Damn, I I don't I don't think I can put a better cherry on that topic. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, if you if you guys have any questions about battle mats, theater of the mind stuff, anything that we've been talking about here, yeah, send those into difficultyclass at gmail and we would love to talk on the show about it or even on Twitter with you about it. Definitely. Uh, but we've got we speaking of talking to people, <laughs> we've uh we've got some listener questions. Awesome. So let's uh let's go over to Hector Reyes. Hector is writing in again. He's the one with that awesome, yes. cool multi-party game of Thank coolness. You, we gotta have him <laughs> on to talk about that. Um, so his question is: I was wondering if you had uh, if you'd heard of the five five room dungeon, and if you have, what your opinion on this structure is. So I hadn't. 
Same here. Yeah, I looked this up <laughs> on the break today. Um, and uh, let me read off. God, I it's off of one D four Chan. Um, <laughs> but basically, here here's the breakdown. The five rooms are entrance with guardian, puzzle slash role playing uh, challenge, trick or setback, big climax, and then a reward slash revelation. Mm-hmm. Now, so the the I'll, I'll run you through real quick, like what these each individually mean the entrance with guardian basically means why has no one done this dungeon before okay something that is in their way some of the examples they give is uh the entrance is trapped there's multiple entrances but only one correct the entrance requires a special key uh the guardian was deliberately placed at the entrance uh uh, a hidden ambush waits in the shadows Portcullis that kobold guards can pass through easily, but heroes must expose themselves to lift. Okay. Um, the puzzle slash roleplay challenge, that's pretty self-explanatory. Have a non-combat encounter. Right. Uh, trigger setback. Uh, uh, the hostages they rescue demand plead to be taken back immediately before the heroes can find the villain. Um, con- it contains only one exit, dumping them out somewhere near room one. Mm. So basically just something that's messing with them. Right. Big climax uh is well the fight. Yeah. The the, the big boss. Uh it's make a detailed map with interesting train and uh usable props for uh jumping, tripping over, grabbing, swinging. Oh, okay. Um <laughs> the big bad is going to have powers uh that is beyond the monsters and traps encountered uh, until now. Uh, previous rooms might have clues for the weakness of the main villain. Uh, the evil guy has unholy what's it <laughs> in his grasp <laughs> uh, and threatens to destroy it. So, and then the reward slash revelation is, can literally just be they get the treasure, or uh, maybe uh, the captured princess wasn't kidnapped uh, but ran away from home to elope with the bad guy. You know, a twist, something okay. like that. Um, so, this is cool. I almost like it in a way to as a guideline for setting up a one shot. Yeah. Um, but I probably would only use it ever once in a campaign. Yeah, that and that's kind of what I was thinking too. I'm just like, this is a cool layout, but it's kind of a one and done for me because yeah. if you know I did it again and you know they do an entrance thing and then they get to a role play challenge and stuff. It, there, it's like, oh, okay, so we're just doing this again. So we know that the next room's got a trick or a setback in it, and then we're gonna fight the thing. So yeah. I, I don't. One, one thing that I really kind of try strive for is that my dungeons don't get predictable. Yeah, we we talked about this uh, back when we mentioned the encounter pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, when you do like the same style over and over again that leads to predictability and your players to try as they don't want to, they will accidentally meta upon it and they will prepare themselves for the next room because they'll know it's a boss fight. Mm -hmm. They will cast like armor of Agathis on a seemingly empty room for no reason at all. (laughs) Um, I do think that like, I mean, you can't really do much in the way of like hard detail, but if your players ever, you know, ran off and decided to go do something you hadn't written down for, you could probably wing a dungeon off of this outline. Yeah, and it's a good outline because it, it provides actually variety more so than here's eight rooms. Each room has something different. 
uh, go through it to the end. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I've panicked and <laughs> done uh, improv a dungeon like that mm-hmm. where it's like, well, um, now you're in the next room. There's a party of orcs. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I actually told you guys this during the session, but uh, do you remember in uh, Tyranny of Dragons when you guys went and fought some mummies? <laughs> Yes. That was all improvised. Oh, okay, cool. I improvised an entire dungeon because oh you guys were like, oh, we should go do this first. And I was like, why didn't why? I think that they would do that? <laughs> and so I am, I had to improvise that whole dungeon there. Mm-hmm. Um, th- if I had this, I probably would have gone with that. Yeah. But as far as like the bookstore game, I might use this at some point. Yeah. But I'd probably only use it once. Yeah, that's the kicker. Like, I think it's a really good setup for using it once. Not that it's a bad setup, but not for repeat. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So, uh, Hector, I I, w- I want to know what you think about this, and I don't get to see you a lot, so send that in or tweet us. Yeah. Because I would like to hear. Maybe we'll read it next week. Um. All right. Uh. Our uh, our next question comes from the wonderful Aaron, who supplies us with so many questions, and we're so appreciative of it. You rock. <laughs> um. So. Uh, in response to some uh, races being looked down on. So this is back on our, you know. The uncomfortable The topics, uncomfortable yeah. topics thing. <laughs> um, could this feature, could this be, sorry. Could this be a feature of the game to try and get people to see each other as individuals uh, and all humans uh, if you in, uh, if you will instead of uh, simply creating conflict in the world? Uh, yes, conflict is easy drama for stories, but if you use it right, uh, then uh, couldn't the aspect be used to have the group band together and say either accept us all in this bar or none of us go in this bar? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. There, there, there's more here, but I feel like that's kind of yeah, the gist of it. Um, definitely. Like, there's a couple ways that you can go about it, but it always boils back to talk to your group about it because... Yeah what your group wants out of the game because I, I think I mentioned it about you can totally have like racism be in the world mm-hmm. um, but if your group is okay with that being in the world as a means of showing that you can get over that mm-hmm. or you can prove them wrong or there's that heroic aspect of kinship and yeah. like saying oh yeah this dwarf is my friend even though I'm an elf Lord of the Rings yeah well <laughs> um, well, there, there was one that we didn't talk about god I can't believe it didn't come to me Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a Star Wars RPG, and imagine if you had an entire party of droids. Yeah. You know, we don't serve their kind here. Yeah. Um, like you know, that was you know when, when first when you you think about it, you're just like, oh yeah, it's droids. You know, people just don't like droids, no. but it's just like, well, you know, uh, they uh... they are not quite sentient, but they are sentient enough. Yeah, they um, have opinions. Yeah. <laughs> And so if, yeah, if you had a whole party of droids, yeah, that would be a really easy way to do that in an RPG yeah. where it's not quite the, you know, the level of, you know, problems with race that we unfortunately have today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gets that across like so the, the solo movie with uh, L, you know, L3 yeah. and the what she did on, on Kessel and stuff like that. Like that is, I think, a way that you could do it but the thing that you got to think about especially with D is if there is that big of a problem where they're not letting someone into a bar you have to think about how much that is affecting the rest of your world and role play yeah because 
you might be creating problem situations for yourself in the future where you've established this race doesn't like this race and this race doesn't like this race. But then you forget about that and it's like, well, wait, why are the giants helping this dude who's a tiefling? And you said they hate tieflings and you're like, oh, crap. There's something special about that relationship. Yeah. And, you, <laughs> and I mean, yeah, you could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're going to that level of they're not allowed yeah. in the bar, I would say that one you need to talk to your party about if they want to do that as a story of overcoming adversity and stuff like that sure that's that's cool that's what that's the story you guys want to tell but if they just want to experience the escapism of playing in this fantasy world where anything can happen Mm -hmm. then you should go with that because things can be way more fun if you don't have to worry about those kind of things um yeah another example from star wars is the empire yeah no not just because i'm the big bad guy um It's not really actually shown that well in the movies, but when you get into the books, especially Knights of the Old Republic, mm-hmm. um, they are racist as all hell. There's a reason why yeah. you only see human Imperials. Yeah. They are completely xenophobic and racist. And they, I actually didn't notice that until I played Knights of the Old Republic, mm-hmm. which, to be fair, doesn't have the Galactic Empire. It has the, the Sith. But um, there are, you know, there's these Sith, you know, people who are just like, oh no, we don't allow their kind in our ranks and stuff like that. And I said, that, I went, oh my god, the empire, the empire's racist. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that that's one where it's that was a really neat way of doing it, where they're the bad guys and they're even more bad because they're doing this stuff. And mm-hmm. so you could. Instead of having the world view of this, you could have it where it's like there's this, you know, group of mercenaries or something like that that are only human and they don't let any other race into them. That is one where it's that's a small blip on the map of the story, but it gets people's blood boiling. Yeah, that's more so of a plot point, less so of a world building. Yeah. Point. <laughs> um, and so you could throw something in there where it's not the whole point of the adventure, but you want to tug on that a little bit to not yeah. to the point where like it's upsetting, but to the point where like they realize like, oh, these guys suck. It's almost it would be even more pointed out if the world was more accepting. Yes. And then that one group wasn't mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, if this tiefling is allowed in every bar in the, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the city, but then they get to this one group. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Then the whole group will be like, well, why not? And yeah. then, and then that, then and you that, get and a that, situation. Out and of then that. that makes that bar scene mean a lot more and raises the stakes so much faster. Yeah. Whereas if every bar doesn't let them in, then it's just like, oh, well, you're just like every other bar, you know, F you. But if one bar doesn't, then you're just like, whoa, hold the fuck up. Yeah. Excuse me? So you can get that dramatic edge to it without necessarily pulling on that constantly. Yes. Um, again, escapism. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, I hope that answered your question. Uh, and, uh, please send in more. Uh, I, I haven't shown Allie yet, but the other video that you says, 
Super good. Thank you for that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, that is all we've got for this week. Uh, so if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on whatever podcast service you are listening to and maybe tell a friend about it. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have any questions, any topic suggestions, any horror stories or good stories or yeah. anything else you want to talk to us about, please send those into difficultyclass at gmail.com because I haven't said that enough this episode. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram, which we're still getting better at it posting on uh, at difficultypodcast. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, until next week, don't get killed by your wallet getting angry at you because they're making pop figures of Dungeons and Dragons characters. <laughs>